turn to Romans, the 13th chapter. Notice verse 10 of the 13th chapter. It says, love. So what are we talking about? Love. He said, what kind of love? God's love. He said, love does no harm. Some translations say, no evil. So, love does, does no harm, does no ill, does no damage, does no evil. Think about it. If I'm walking in love, I'm not going to damage the church. I'm not going to do damage to other people. I'm not going to do ill to other people. Notice he said, love does no harm to a neighbor Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, back in the Old Testament, there were a bunch of rules that were given. We know of the Ten Commandments, but there were actually more. And the purpose of these rules was to help people walk in the right path, a way that was totally acceptable to God, that wouldn't hurt other people. See, some people don't realize how much damage is being done to individuals when they start walking outside of love. Now, love is the fulfilling of the law. But we know that fornication, which is sex outside of marriage, is a violation of one of God's commands. So that means, though people think they're being pleasured in this act, they're actually doing harm to themselves and doing harm to the other person, and or reaching even further. How many things do we hear in the world about adultery? A person having sex while they're married with someone else. That you got to understand, if they walked in love, it said you would never break any of these. But how many people have destroyed homes? Children have been twisted and bent because they got in this broken environment where somebody decided to live outside of love. And when you live outside of love, you're living in selfishness. You're choosing to do it your way instead of God's way. Lying is one of the commandments. How many people have been harmed when somebody gossips and speaks? And they think, well, I just needed to say that. I had to, you know, they did me wrong, and so I'm saying all this. How many people do not realize that if we step out of love, we become harmful? We become hurtful to the kingdom and the king's people. And so love, that's why I said the reach of this love is for eternity. Could you imagine if God just got so frustrated with us and he started telling our secrets? Oh, gossiping about us. Somebody's like, oh, yeah, I'm uh, glad he's faithful. Well, we should be too. Right? What if he returned evil for evil? What if he lied to us? Oh, my, that would be tough. You know why? Because then I don't know what part to trust. I don't know if he was telling the truth or lying. And so God is love. And so if we want to become non-harmful, non-ill-working, and become effective in the kingdom, we've got to learn to not just know love, 
but practice love. And the world is so trained in selfish practices. Even when they give, they want to get something back for the giving. You can tell there's a cry in this young generation to walk in, in divine love because all, a lot of the businesses that are starting, they're like, we contribute to help these people, and we do this to help these people. There's something deep down that craves God's love, not only to experience it, but to give it. And Christians need to know what this love is, and one of the main things that love is not is selfish. If I base my decisions on me and my personal gratification instead of what's best, what's kind, what's patient, what brings patience to the scene, I may be working ill and not even knowing it, but I need to learn to not be selfish or self-seeking. Paul was one of the most effective people in the New Testament that we can read about. I mean, would you agree? God used him. He, he shook whole nations. He, 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 I mean, he turned the world upside down, or at least the places he went. But if you look at Paul's life, uh, you realize that he was actually a man governed by love and not selfish decisions. And here's the thing. When he chose to make decisions... There were th some things he would have rather chose than what he ended up choosing. His desire was greater for the other thing, but because of love's sake, he chose the one. Remember, Jesus did the same thing. When he prayed in the garden, he said, is there another way to do this? And then he said, nevertheless, not what or the way I want or would choose, but what you would choose. Think of the lasting effect of that love decision. To do something for humanity instead of himself. To do something for others instead of doing what would be pleasing to me at this moment. And what would be comfortable for me. Paul did these types of things. Turn to 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. We should all aspire to grow to walk in God's love. If we want to walk in God's love and would, or I should say not just want to, choose to want to, then I'm telling you this, there are promises that are connected to this of, of a rich walk in this earth and great rewards there. But sometimes we won't always know the outcome of love in this life. Stephen didn't. He was stoned to death. And he said, Lord, forgive them. They do not know and what they're doing. And one of the men there was Paul before he turned to the Lord. And so here in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, love doesn't just seek its own way. Look at the 14th verse. It says this, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. It says, for the love of Christ compels us. We should read it like this when we read it. Instead of it just compelling us, we should come to the place where we could say this, the love of Christ controls me or us. It's something we should all aspire to. Does the love of Christ control us? 
do I let it be the thing by which I make my decisions? He said, because we judge thus or this way, that if one died for all, then all were dead. If he died, notice this, that if one died for all, then all died. In other words, everybody was dead. The love of Christ should compel us. It should control us. Notice verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves. Notice he said the love of Christ compels us or should control us so that those who now live for the Lord should no longer live for themselves. In other words, we if we're alive from Him, our whole life should revolve around this, not living for myself. That's a breath of fresh air to people more than they know. So many people think they get the short end of the stick when they don't get their due. We're not, we don't just need a payoff from people. We need to pay off that harvest we talked about from the Lord. That's what is fulfilling. That is what pays richly. And so he said, for he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. What's he saying? The only way this is going to happen is if I let love be the thing that controls me. Love will want to compel me and drive me. Will I let it control me? Will I let love's dictates be the thing that I follow? What's interesting is Paul's life to me is super fascinating. Years ago, you know, as I read through the Bible, you see it just Paul's life is woven through it because he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So we have the most about him as a man born again and living for the Lord. And as I began to grow in some things, I started to see some stuff about Paul's life and how he was able to live a fulfilled life, live a joyful life, finish his course. Because you can't finish the course God has for you if you're living your own way. Because that's your course. If you do it your way, you're not on his course. Love, we know the Bible said love is not selfish and doesn't seek its own rights or its own ways. And so we need to realize that if we watch Paul's life and recognize if we approach it from this mentality that the Bible said he had a crown at the end because he finished his course and he fulfilled his destiny and it said he was able to live with great joy because he didn't love his own life. He didn't follow his own pattern, his own compulsions, but he did these things. And so let's look at a couple of times maybe, one or two times, where Paul made some decisions uh, based solely on love that were not personally favorable to him. But paid off big time for others at the expense of Paul. Only because he lived in love. 
And so notice this in Philippians, the first chapter. Remember, love will do no harm to the kingdom. It will benefit the kingdom. Is what I'm doing benefiting the kingdom? It's a good question. Or what I'm not doing. You know, you know people need to realize that and look, you know. If I choose to be selfish with my life and my lifestyle, I could actually be working more harm than I know, but not know it till I leave this earth. Because, you know, you've heard people, well, I'm doing this, who, who, who am I affecting? Who's really getting hurt in all this? You know, it's just me and my wife, or, or it's just me, or whoever, and and it's just me, who's being affected? Well, we know love does no harm and does no evil. So if you reverse that, if I walk out of love, then I start violating certain laws that were set in order to help us not infringe on other people, to, but to be beneficial. And so when I step out of those, I start sinning. You know what's interesting? Because people look at sin, and we don't talk about that much because it's not real popular today. Um, so, but you know what sin really means? It means to miss the mark. In other words, so what we want to do is hit God's mark. And he said love would hit God's mark every time. If I walk in love, he said, I won't lie, I won't steal, I won't cheat, I won't commit adultery, I won't do all these different things. I'll, I'll love God above everything. And so Paul lived that way. So Philippians, the first chapter, this is one of the, Paul's last books he's written, and uh, he's in prison, you know, he's, and not maybe like ours. And so here he's writing, and he makes some amazing statements. Verse 21, he said, Philippians 1, 21, For me to live is Christ. In other words, I'm living for Christ when I'm living. I'm going after him. I'm not just going after him, I'm going after his stuff. And he said, and to die is gain. When you gain something, doesn't that mean it adds something, you know, in a positive way to you? Right? I mean, we, even if you got something in your life, like a leech on the back of your neck or something like that, you wouldn't say that's gain. Right? Because it's sucking something out of you. So when he's talking about gain, it's something that adds to him. He said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Then he goes on to say, in other words, dying is not bad. Not death in itself is an enemy, but the result is gain if you're saved. He said, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. In other words, I go to heaven, I quit working, so to speak. Here, I stay, I'm going to be doing work for the Lord. And he said, what will this produce? Fruit, a byproduct. He said, then he goes on to say, yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. 
I don't know what to choose. Notice he said, I stay here and work, or I go, which is gain. Notice what it says in verse 23. For I am hard-pressed between the two. Man, there is so much pressure right now in my life. Do I stay or do I go? And he has already said, going is better. Then he didn't stop. He said, I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire. I mean, you know, Paul, we know heaven's real. We know the Lord is there, but Paul knew it and had been there. And he said, I have a desire. This was not a weak desire. It was a strong desire. And he said, I'm so hard pressed over this. He said, I have a desire to be with Christ, which is, now he upset, he said, is far better. It's far better than being around all you guys here in Philippi. Way better. That's encouraging. But he's being honest. He said, it's a desire I have. It's far better. What if you have a desire for something that you think might be far better than God's way? Paul did. But his desire was rightly fixed, I mean, and rightly, you know, his assessment was appropriate. How many people in this life have not assessed things appropriately and thought, well, my decision here to do this is just, it's going to be so much better for me to go do this. And it's really not. Notice this. He said, it's far better. Then verse 24, he said, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh, notice this, is needful for you. He said, I get benefited personally if I'm out of here. It's far better. It's way better. But he said, if I stay, it's about you. Notice he didn't say, if I stay, it's about me. Because why? He said, to live is Christ. It's not about me. Did he not say that? He didn't go on to say, well, I think I want to stay. No, he just said, it's for your benefit. I'm benefited if I go, and you're going to get the benefit if I stay. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful. There was a need that needed to be fulfilled. And he said, if I make this decision, the need will be fulfilled. How many people have not made the right decision, therefore there was a need that was not fulfilled because they chose to do their own thing while they were here? And then what is the result is need, not needs being fulfilled. And notice it goes on to say, or to say in verse 25, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain 
and continue with you all for, he didn't just say I'm staying, he said I'm hard pressed and now as we read on, he said I've come to the conclusion, here it is, I'm going to stay, it's needful for you and he said for your progress and your joy of faith. Notice he didn't talk about himself, meaning this is going to benefit somebody else. Love really looks to benefit others. Now, let me ask you this. Does Paul ultimately benefit from this? Yeah, maybe, maybe not today, maybe not next Tuesday while he's here, but because of his choices and his personal not living for himself, he was sowing stuff into the earth that would be bring a harvest there in the lives of people, but he would be laying up treasure for himself in heaven too. But he didn't seem to live with that kind of motive, just what I get. Even though knowing he would get something. How many people have been damaged because of selfishness? How many people have been helped because somebody wasn't being selfish. Man, if God was selfish, we would have been in a world of hurt because we messed it all up. But because of his love, it's his own son. People are bothered by that. How could somebody come and die for somebody else? People are put out by that. But you got to remember, God is love. He wasn't put out by it. I don't think he had a second thought about it. He knew from the beginning what would be needed, and he said, I'm going to do this. Here's what we need to realize is, we're born of God. We have a new spirit in us. We travel into the kingdom by the new birth. In other words, we get born again. We say, Jesus, be my Lord. I give you my life. We come into the kingdom, not into the church building, but our spirits become brand new. The issue is my spirit's been made brand new, but I still got that old mind. And I need to get this love in action because it's desperately needed for the kingdom and for the king. He wants this. He said, if you would walk this way, he said, all men would know you are my disciples. You know, have you ever heard this saying, man, my cat acts like a dog? You ever heard that from people? Or, or my, my dog acts like a cat or whatever. You know, you go to take the thing for a walk and it just falls down to the ground. I'm not, I won't do this. That's more like a cat. And then, then you, you know, and they say that. Why would somebody say that? Because they're barking and meowing? Now, if that's what they were doing, cool. But the fact of the matter is, when we say, oh, that cat's acting like a dog, we know that the cat is not a dog. But it's acting like something it's not because of how it's thinking and processing. Well, when we come into the kingdom, we're brand new. 
but we still have worldly ways of thought that we need to be disciplined to renew ourselves and renew our minds and begin to think different. Because sometimes, unwittingly, instead of helping, we may have harmed. How many people have risen up in churches, not here, thank the Lord, but in other places, got together and talked about other people, started saying bad stuff about people, and started getting a group of people that got bitter and just left and have never been in church since. They worked harm because they gossiped or lied. You with me? Paul in his own life one time confronted a group of people who uh, were hypocrites. And, and the Bible said this, love is not hypocritical. And so Paul confronted Peter because he was acting like a hypocrite in Galatians, the first chapter, and uh, into the second chapter because he didn't stick with the truth. And when he didn't act in love and stick with what he knew was what was right and the truth, it said he drew everybody else with him. How, how did he, did he not know that walking outside of love was now beginning to work ill to the kingdom? It said even Barnabas, Paul's traveling companion, was drawn away with this hypocrisy. And remember, hypocrisy is living outside of love. Because there's no hypocrisy in love. And so, him living outside of love, and here he is, one that's called of God, and now it's starting to draw all these people away. Paul comes, and the Bible said, and he lived in love. He did this out of love, not being mean. Some people are confronting people because they're just mad at him. Paul confronted him because it was hypocrisy, and he said, you played the hypocrite, and you've drawn all these people. Paul said this. He said he addressed this issue so that the truth might remain today. He addressed something that wasn't real popular. It was an action of love for what, what cause? So that the truth would remain today. What if the truth didn't remain? What if because people were afraid of standing up for the truth and they all started going down this thing, this path, if Paul wouldn't have walked in love, it said the truth wouldn't have remained. wonder how many places in the world because somebody has backed away, they didn't realize they caused harm and the truth didn't stick around. Love would be the remedy. I put God first. I put his word first. I'm standing for it. And this is the way I'm going. I'm not going to be mean. I'm not going to be ill toward people. But if anybody's going to stand, we're going to stand. Or I'm going to stand. Or you're going to stand. And Paul got, or Peter got caught up in this. And, and Paul had to address it to his face. And what I like is the truth remained. How many truths don't remain in some places? Spirit-filled living. Being filled with the Spirit. Because somebody said, well, we don't want to offend people. You know, we don't want to talk about the blood of Jesus. That's kind of can be gross. Let's talk about something else. 
Let's not talk about he was whipped, you know, because some people may get healed and some won't, and we don't want to offend people, so we won't talk about healing. Well, we don't want to talk about hell because that could be offensive and make little kids have, have scary dreams, so let's not talk about that. And then because of it, people aren't forthcoming and straightforward. The truth then no longer remains. And then all of a sudden you wonder what happens from one generation to another, one young group to another group, because certain things just didn't want to be said, didn't want to take the time myself to learn about it and figure, well, they'll get it. And then all of a sudden it becomes lost. Then what happens? And you know, the remedy is real simple. It's love. I, I don't think Paul just totally got a kick out of going and telling Peter to his face, you've played the hypocrite. And I don't think he was on a power trip when he did it either. I don't think he came and said, you know, I'm all about the truth. What's your problem? No, it was just, I believe, sheer out of love, knowing the benefits of what would be produced and what would be lost. And he was just sheer after what God wanted, and he wanted to make sure after he left it would remain. You know what's cool about it? Later on, before Peter left, he wrote some stuff, and he said, I'm reminding you of this again and again so that when I'm gone, you might remember and walk in these things. At one time, he did something that was a failure and a hurt to the kingdom. Later on, before he leaves, he said, I'm doing this and I'm saying it again because I want the truth to remain. I wonder if Paul, by walking in love, even though it might have been hard, I mean, you know, you're this guy and here this other guy is, and I, I, you traveled with Jesus, this guy didn't, and he just downright confronts you in front of all these people. How embarrassing. But he didn't think like that. As a matter of fact, one other thing he wrote at the end of his letter that Paul did, or Peter did about Paul, he said, you know, the Lord has given him tremendous revelation. He said, some people don't understand it. They wrestle with it to their own destruction. But he even endorsed the truth that Paul was giving. And then he makes a statement in line with a truth that Paul had confronted him about. Man, if we can take correction in love, how much can we be benefited individually? If we just don't get upset and if we realize, is it the truth? How much could it help us later on in life? And, and think about it. What he was corrected on later on, he said, I'm doing this and I'm stirring up your pure mind again and again. So when I'm gone, the truth will remain. Paul acted in love. He didn't say, well, one day Paul got me all mad about this. and He didn't even bring it up. And then he endorsed the guy. You know why? Because love doesn't keep a record when you feel personally wronged. You know, the Bible said that. It lets things go. Somebody said, well, you got a weakness. No, that's a strength. And God's got the same one, and he does it in a way, because how many of you know God never forgets anything? I mean, he knows everything. But it said he will, will, an act of his will, will not remember your transgressions. He will not. Didn't say he can't. He said he never will. That means his will is involved. And so if we're going to walk in love, we have to come to walk like that. Remember, love does no harm. It does no ill. 
It does no evil. 1 Corinthians 13 in the Amplified says, Love does not seek its own rights or its own ways because love is not selfish or self-seeking. I think that's maybe something we have to ask ourselves again and again. And for me, it's real personal because how I came into the kingdom. Whether you know it or not, it's how you came into the kingdom. What do you mean? Meaning this, when I say it's personal. When I gave my life to the Lord, I said, I'm giving you my life. It's not my own. You're the Lord. So that means I'm going to make my decisions based on you, not me. So really, you always come back and should be coming back to that same place. That part of your Christian walk should never change. When it does, you start walking out of love. When you start walking out of love, harm comes or no effect. And so for me, like I said, it's real personal. I can always go back there and say, I said I'll do whatever you want. So if I'm going to follow after love and be faithful to that, that's how I'm going to have to be. But in all technical terms, everybody came into the kingdom the same way when they got saved. They surrendered their own self to him, and now they live on a new way. Now I'm going to read this, and we're going to close in 1 Peter 2. A familiar verse, but there is a truth in here I, I believe would be helpful for us. 1 Peter 2, verse 24, says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree? When Jesus died on the tree, he bore your sins, your sinfulness. Understand what he bore was not just your activity of sin, but he bore what's producing sin, that spiritual nature. He said he bore that on the tree. That we now having died to sin, in other words, we're no longer alive to sin. Why? Because we have his life. All sin and the sinful nature is gone out of your spirit the minute you give your life to the Lord. Period. What kind of life do you have? You have the life of God. You actually have the nature of love in your spirit. He said you've died to sin. Let's change that to the word we talked about earlier. You've died to missing the mark. Isn't it good to know by virtue of a new nature, because of what he suffered for you, you died spiritually from missing the mark. So this means you can hit the mark. And his love is in you if you'll choose to act from your spirit, because he said you're dead to sin now, you're dead to missing the mark, so that you might live for righteousness or right standing. In other words, not do anything that would be offensive to him or harmful to the kingdom. Because remember, love is the fulfilling of the law. And what's so cool is you're dead to missing the mark so that you can live this way. So I don't have to say, Lord, give me your love. If I'm saved, I have a new nature. 
a nature that wants to hit the mark. The only way you can hit the mark is by walking in love. We have a nature of love. So if you have a conflict with walking in love and you're a believer, don't be bothered. Paul did. Don't be bothered. Jesus did. But notice what he said, nevertheless, what I will choose. And what he chose is the same thing Jesus chose. Peter, I mean Paul did, by saying, what's best for others? What's best for the kingdom? What's beneficial for God? That's what I'll do. So, you know, sometimes people get bothered if they have a desire to do something wrong. Now, we can resist it, not feed it, not walk toward it. It'll go away. But what we need to do is start practicing this one and feeding this love. Read about this love. Know about it. You're dead, and then it goes on to say, by his stripes, you were healed. In other words, he not only made it so you don't have to miss it and not hit the mark, You don't, have to hit, you don't have to miss the mark. You can hit the mark every time in God. How do I do that? Just, just walk in love. Is it that easy? Oh, no, because desire is something. Isn't that the truth? But notice, Jesus made the choice. Paul made the choice. And so, we can make the choice. Stephen made it. He was getting stoned to death. And he said, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Well, they knew what they were doing. But they were doing it thinking they were doing something right when they were actually doing something wrong. Here he is getting stoned to death, and he's like, forgive them. Forgive them. Wouldn't it be awesome if we all grew in this love? what it would mean for one another and those who come behind us and those who are coming to the church? What would this do to a house, a business? If you knew you could trust your employees because they walked in love and they wouldn't cheat and steal and they would give their best. What if you are that employee? What a breath of fresh air you would be to that person. He said, if you'll sow this, he said, there will come a day you will reap now and in heaven. Like I said, some of it will see, some of it we won't. 